Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home. Well, we have a special guest today, all the way from the West Coast, and we're going to be talking about a program that has made some very significant differences in how we respond to mental health issues. As some of you know, I'm a law enforcement guy of many years, and I've been to so many scenes and so many incidents where the police are not the right people to show up. And so that is why we have a special guest. Harley Christensen is a CAHOOTS van worker. And we're going to talk about what CAHOOTS is, but is eminently qualified as an EMT, a qualified mental health associate, and very recent community uh, education specialist for CAHOOTS. He has a background in conflict de-escalation and experience in young adult shelters, education at the collegiate level, as well as crisis work and volunteer experiences in harm reduction services. All that to mean is they have experience in how to deal with some of these crisis situations where the cops are not the right answer. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Yeah, of course, Tyler. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk more. So we don't have a whole ton of time. I know you guys are very busy because you're out doing all the things that need to be done. And so I want to get in, what is CAHOOTS? So CAHOOTS, I'll start with part, partly what you already um, addressed, which is our acronym, which is Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets. Um, we do mobile crisis intervention in a team of two. We have an EMT basic as well as a QMHA or a nurse um, may also be someone that's with us. Mm-hmm. We're dispatched through Eugene Police Fire Ambulance Comm Center. We also are in Springfield, which is just a little uh, past our Eugene city boundary. Yeah, we provide urgent medical and psychological crisis intervention. Uh, yeah, there's a lot more I could say too, but that's, that is the brief overview. We co-respond sometimes with police and sometimes with fire, as well as staffed services in the Eugene Springfield metro area. So it's basically an adjunct to... Somebody calls 911, they need help, and it's a mental health crisis. So what kind of mental health crisis? Oh, that can be all sorts of things. That can be just crisis counseling as need be for an acute situation. Um, We are through a non-emergency number, but sometimes we are brought as first responders onto medical emergencies. Um, We'll do death notifications. We'll be on scene for any sort of like loss intervention or loss um, counseling as well. Uh, we do all sorts of different versions of conflict mediation and resolution. We do transport to staff services. Yeah, um, essentially, if folks can get into the back of our van, if they're able to ambulate into the back of our van, and we are able to figure out a plan of action as far as what staff services to bring them to, whether that be medical or mental health, um, that is all within the umbrella of our services. So I, you know, because sometimes you guys use uh, terminology that maybe everybody doesn't know. What is a staff service? It's somewhere like a social services agency that is able to provide a service for an individual within the community. 
that can range from somewhere that somebody can go take a shower to the hospital to we have a really uh, great crisis counseling program in town called Hourglass. Mm-hmm. We can take folks to shelter. We can take folks to substance abuse centers. We take folks to the VA. We take folks to different um, scattered site uh, shelter options. Yeah. That, and that's, I'm just like going off the top of my head right now. There's a whole list beyond that too, but that, sure. that's just a little so bit. So it's of, somewhere where they can get additional help, whether it's a, a yeah. homeless shelter or the right. VA or right. wherever. Obviously, we're a show that focuses on veterans. So, uh, you know, the VA has a ton of services, uh, but they're always not always there. Uh, so, you know, you have to sort of uh, deconflict and make sure that that service is available when you're going to take them there, which often is not at three in the morning, right? Right. Right. Yeah, that, that has, we have a couple of individuals that are popping into my head right now um, that we've had, yeah, some like creative outcomes with what we're able to do on the overnight schedule mm-hmm. with our VA hours being limited, as is in every city that I know of. I, I We are Everywhere. without a 24 hour service. Yeah, it seems like that is a commonality. Yeah, it's a nine to five. They have emergency rooms and they have emergency services. But yeah, that's that happens. And so the idea is they have a different service than necessarily fire rescue or law enforcement come in and right. provide services and then also follow on services at perhaps a staff facility, a hospital, a, a shelter, whatever is the case. Right. And with best case scenario, our services in bringing folks to staff services that are in, say, you know, somebody's having an acute medical crisis. I'm not going to be sitting there and talking to them about what their plan for the rest of the day is and maybe what they're going to be planning to do tomorrow. But in instances where folks do have a less high level of acuity, we're able to like, hopefully, potentially establish some sort of continuum of care with the case manager um, at any of the other yeah services in town. It's pretty exciting. That is, it sounds like an exciting thing. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm sure you come across a wide variety of mental health crises, oh, yeah. you know, anything from psychosis to depression to suicide ideation or, or perhaps at even attempts. What are some of the type of things, I'm just going off the top of my head, that cahoots would be involved in? It's so funny because... For a second there, I thought that you were describing my day yesterday. I worked a 12-hour <laughs> shift, and I think I saw almost in order all of those things happen throughout a 12-hour period. You know, we were on a pretty long, like, three-and-a-half, four-hour um, suicidal ideation call. It just took a little bit of time for this person who hadn't spoken with um, anybody about the details of what they were going through in depth, kind of getting to a point where we could talk and we could safety plan. And then we get back to our office and this is a very atypical example, but somebody was having a medical crisis right outside of our office. So we were able to call for fire there. Mm-hmm. So there's more that I could say as far as what, what we're able to provide and what, what our services look like in terms of what we see every day. But just, I feel like that right there, that range, that can be a four hour period that can be, you know, within four weeks period where it's just, it's a lot of, excitement a lot of like chances to be yeah creative and and to have outcomes that would be best served for the person that we're working with that may not come with our community partners but also could come with the help of our community partners and i think that's like an important thing to stress in what cahoots does too is that we do a lot of the 
immediate intervention and then rely a lot on collaboration between the different partner agencies that we do have in town. Um, yeah, it's always it's always something new. You know, every time I talk to a social worker, I was talking to one the other day, they mm -hmm. always have like the entire Rolodex of services. And, and yeah. it's always amazing to me just like how ingrained they are in the community in which they're serving. And, and right. they know who to call in like one or two calls to get something done. And that's what it sounds like. This is one of the main success stories. So Cahoots has been around since 1989. So it has right. some legs. It's not a new thing. What no. are some of the, the main reasons it's been so successful? I think as you've, I think part of the reason why Cahoots is so successful as you is partially to points that I've made and, and also to some that you've made where community partners, law enforcement, fire, may be appropriate in certain settings, law enforcement, when there's like high acuity of violence, uh, fire when there is literally something on fire, or when somebody's having more of an acute medical emergency. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Cahoots fills in a pretty vital space in any community where there is an opportunity for um, someone who's trained in mental health, someone who's trained in a low level, but still certified level of medical care Possibly even we can cross train so folks can be both roles at the same time. So there might be two people there that have the credentials of four or five people that are able to assess, you know, is this maybe a, a situation where we are able to bring this person to their level of care, given our partner agencies are able to stay within their bounds and able to do what is within their credentialing. Um, or is this something that we're like, okay, actually, we do need some backup here. We need to collaborate with these community partners. And I think, um, yeah, that's I'm 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 seeing there be a push for a mobile, pardon me, for a mobile integrated health model across the nation. And I think a lot more communities are starting to see the validity of having, um, yeah, a non-emergency crisis intervention team uh, in their communities. So what are the specifics to deploy cahoots when a call comes into dispatch? So, yeah. you know, there's there's a, a lot of things that happen every day. The police get called like hundreds of times a day. How do they decide when does cahoots need to be involved or should be involved? I really appreciated this question when you sent it to me and, and getting to answer it for you now. So we cahoots, as far as how we're deployed through dispatch, is we'll be put in the queue through non-emergency through um, either Eugene area or Springfield police dispatch. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few different instances, so I'm going to try and not paint too big of a web here, but also don't want to leave too much out. There are instances in which someone is calling 911 for what on a first, on a first glance might seem like, okay, this is very important for law enforcement to be there, but based on our experience and our rapport with that person, we're able to go, and kind of assess what's going on and whether or not there needs to be further intervention. Um, but there's also the case in, in Eugene and in Springfield, if there is an instance of which someone wants to have cahoots on scene, like they want to have crisis intervention or they want to have an EMT just come and check out their vitals and do a medical assessment, there is an opportunity for folks to advocate for themselves, which I find to be like a pretty empowering tool as far as um, in the future, folks being able to take into consideration where they're at and make decisions for themselves, because we have a heavy call list, though 
we are also able to have a little bit more, how do I put this? Specific care for what a, a person might need. Um, I hope I'm not getting too far away from your question, but no, that's exactly um, what I was going for because people right. are complicated, and yeah. and having that agency is often taken away from them when they call nine one one. Um, right. You know, you call for help, and the police or police and fire are going to show up, and when they when that happens, often the choice is no longer that individuals. And, and so we've all seen the, the incidents of where someone is suicidal and they call for help and bad things happen. And so one of the, the reasons that I was so interested in having cahoots on is this model of, hey, there's other folks that aren't the cops and they aren't the police and they aren't the firefighters that can provide services that might be the best and most appropriate way to deal with somebody going through with some challenges. Right. And I think that as far as community health goes, I think it's important to mobilize and, and work with and collaborate with community partners as much as we possibly can. And that there are, as you're pointing out that, that to be said, to hold that thought still true, it is what you're saying. And I'm relaying back to you is also true. Like there, there are instances in which, yeah, somebody might want to be, accessing services that we might even have like a better idea of where to go from there with this individual. Um, yeah. So can you give me an example of how the CAHOOTS team operates when deployed for like a veteran in mental health crisis? Yes. It's difficult for me to be hypothetical and it's a lot easier for me to be anecdotal. So sure. as far as Just that keep, goes. Keep the names out of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is my HIPAA test 101. That's right. Um, Essentially, we've had folks with that are accessing VA services that because of the limitations of the VA in Eugene or in Springfield are not able to access services past a certain hour or even like there are folks that struggle with very severe symptoms of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And maybe that has been a barrier to their services temporarily or permanently for for these um, more veteran centered services. So it's. It is interesting discussing with folks their experiences and also meeting folks where they're at when it comes to services with veterans, because I think there are a number of different uh, soapboxes that I could stand on right now as to why, and I'm going to spare that because I think within this room, there's an understanding of that, um, that the just the quality of care that we're able to provide, that I've seen providing, I'm talking about in particular, not myself, but when I've been in training settings or I've been able to watch, I'm currently just a medic on the team. Um, been able to watch folks work with people that are like in a place of extreme crisis, sometimes going back to whatever this like traumatic event was. And we are able to, albeit in a mobile van, we do have a large back compartment and are able to like ground recenter and, and bring folks back into the present moment and, and, potentially from there, figure out what the best service might be. Um, yeah. I like the fact that you talked about meeting people where they are, because right. often that is one of the biggest challenges yeah. of, of getting or maintaining care. Um, you know, you might be able to get an appointment, you, you know, psychiatry and psychology, they're always booked. I mean, it's hard to get appointments. 
And right. it's hard to sometimes keep appointments, especially when they're months out and you know things happen, especially when you're dealing with crisis. So meeting people where they are uh, as they are is, is so important. And so, what you just said reminded, I'm sorry, but I want to make sure this gets in. What you just said reminded me of the only point that I left out that I wanted to make is in terms of CAHOOTS care and working with agencies, working with individuals, working with partnered um staffed agencies, the advocacy for for patients is one that is very crucial. And and I'm I'm speaking to a very specific instance that I had with the crisis worker with an individual who's highly escalated and like any form of authority, like hospital security, like just literally passerbys that looked like they could be authoritative became an issue in this person's state. Right. And uh not only like some level of de-escalation, which would be like, you know, pat on the back for us, but the the moving folks to the ER is where, you know, secure side and being able to from there advocate for this person, even though maybe there is like some resistance from whatever part of this like soup of different. I think an entirely Adam, different time. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you froze up just for a moment. I think we got most of that question uh, answered. So is CAHOOTS a state funded thing or is it a private organization? How is it organized? So we're contracted through the city of Eugene and Springfield separately. That's mostly through grant money as well as um, some coordinated care money that comes from Medicaid and uh, OHP, which is Oregon Health Plan mm-hmm. here in the state of Oregon. Um, yeah, we're we're without state funding. And um, we've talked with a lot of different folks in a lot of different counties and states and cities about um, what that looks like. My my hope is that in the future, this this I've said this phrase a few times, but it's accurate. I'm I'm hoping that in the future, this mobile integrated health plan is something that is seen and funded at a higher level than just county and and city funding Um, that they're through these like kind of more community centered, more specific services that are writing grants that that impact in different communities will make itself apparent as a need for community health. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, a current, what is it? A nonprofit that gets funding and has a contract essentially to provide services. Yeah. And so that that's gotta be significantly challenging, uh, you know, because I, anytime you have a nonprofit, you're uh, without a regular supply of funding uh, there's expenses uh, there's, there's costs. If someone wanted to go donate, get involved, or even start their own, how would they get in touch with you? So you can reach out through, we have a job form on the Whitebird website. So that's um, Whitebird Eugene. And you can also reach out to folks. I can give you my contact info too, if you want to tag this at the at the bottom of wherever the recording ends up. Um, we are always happy. My role as community education specialist, part of that as I'm onboarding is learning how to talk to different folks, whether that be police dispatch, that be chamber of commerce for Eugene, that be like the city of San Bernardino. Um, we always love to talk and collaborate more with folks um, to think about this model and whether or not it'd be a good fit for their community. And, and that's probably the most important thing I want to talk to you about. Obviously I'm on the East coast, you're on the West coast. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of veterans there, but there's a bunch of veterans all over the place. And so this is a very successful model that's working. 
And I think that's a very important key takeaway of, hey, folks, if you think this might be a good idea for your community, uh, there's a resource and it, you don't have to start from scratch. And that's right. important. I know in the law enforcement side, we have a lot of different programs on how to deal with mental health uh, related incidents and sort of community organ, uh, community uh, policing uh, and, and a number of other training. But and the reality is sometimes the cops are not the right answer. And so getting the law enforcement out of it and having people that are able to come and meet people where they are is really important. Uh, we talked about a bunch of stuff, but I'm sure I left something out. Is there something I should have asked you about but didn't? You know, you gave me a freebie here, and I'm I'm struggling to figure out the best the best way to answer that. I I honestly feel like it's been a pretty con comprehensive interview as far as what services we are able to provide and how we provide them. I would say too that like um, folks out there that are interested talking in your community is always the first step. That's that's something that with different versions of de-escalation training or whether that be more consulting on how to have a program, it always just starts from a certain group of people continuing to talk and continuing to make, make a difference in their community. Harley, thank you so much for coming on Coming Home Well and telling us all about Cahoots and, and the great success that that program has had since 1989. Uh, that's a very long time for a program to be running and, and sort of developing. I think it's finally starting to get some legs, uh, you know, other places looking at it and going, hey, we, we should look at something like this. And so you guys are uh, sort of the, the uh, pioneers of, of this type of approach. So I really thank you for coming on and sharing, especially how you deal with veterans and some of the gaps and seams, and that's where the biggest challenges always are uh, on any program, or even with the best of intentions, uh, you could have the greatest program in the world, and like the VA. I'm a big fan of the VA. They've done some yeah. great things, but they aren't there all the time, and it's you know there there's gaps and seams, and that's where sometimes people fall through those cracks. So having something that sort of meets people where they are is really impressive. Thank you so much for coming on Coming Home Well. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Tyler, and thanks for having us. It's been great talking to you. And talking to you as well. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well. Coming home.